I'm thinking that we follow Tim Cook's lead and we just, you know, skip the pleasantries and just get right into this thing. What do you think? As he said, everything is great. <laughs> you know, I so I actually, you know, watched the the keynote today. Um, In well, Chinese or English? <laughs> uh, well, I got the Chinese version yesterday live, so I figured I'd go back and listen to the English commentary today. Um, it, it's hard not to cringe a little bit during some of their descriptions. What do you mean? Just the, just the, the all of the amazing and incredible and innovate and just on all the adjectives are just it's a little much. The the videos that always come out afterwards that are like the ninety second recaps where all people do is they just take all the adjectives and mash them together. Those those never get old. I think when you sell seventy million units of anything, you get to call it whatever the fuck you want. That's true. That's fair. So, are we just going to start with the iPhone 6? Well, so, okay, here's what, here's what I've been thinking about this today. I think it makes sense to kind of go in the order of the keynote. Okay. Otherwise, I feel like, you know, we might go a little off the rails because there's, there's just there's so much to talk about here. So, what do you think? It's your show? Okay, it, it, it is my show. Thank you. Uh, um. All right. So as we, you know, we're just joking about a minute ago, Apple, you know, th these keynotes famously are very not, I mean, they are scripted, but they, they come across as maybe not being 100% scripted, but they're very structured. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. And, you know, the typical structure is that, you know, Tim Cook comes out, he'll, you know, give a little introduction and he'll typically go through some sales numbers and just sort of like a, uh, a state of the company, as you, as you would say. And he skipped all that this time and kind of made a you know, reference to say, hey, we've got so much to talk about today. We just got to jump right into this thing. So within, I mean, what was it? Within the first, certainly within the first 10 minutes, maybe even less, we saw the new iPhones, which is, which is pretty crazy. Usually it's, I mean, it's what, 20, 30 minutes in before we see these things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... The iPhone, so we've got two iPhones, just sort of as the rumors suggested. So we've got the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus, which are the 4.7 and 5.5 inch screens, respectively. Um, we were we were talking before we started. I, I I'm not a not that not that this is the most important thing, but not a huge fan of the name. I really, I, I subscribe to the theory that they were going to drop the numbering on these. I'm surprised they kept it. How would they have done that? I don't know. I, I mean, I since, think, since Apple sells different, they simultaneously sell different generations of a product, they can't ever get away from the naming. Well, I, I mean, they do with the iPad. But they generally, but they've stopped that. They don't sell old generations anymore. Don't like, they? They sell don't the they? iPad like four or whatever to education channels, but they don't still actively sell it. Mm, okay. Well, that's a good point. So I think they have to. I'm not a fan of the plus name either, but it's it it's fine. So talk about the like what what's the meat of the story? Anyway, so yeah, name name's not so important, but okay. So we'll, we'll start with maybe the the phone that everybody's going to care about. Certainly the phone that you and I care about, which is the iPhone six. So four point seven inch screen which again everybody kind of knew about um new new design which you know kind of in the the TikTok schedule we've come to expect 
um, very reminiscent of the original iPhone with the anodized aluminum back, um, kind of rounded, rounded edges. Definitely yeah, reminds you a lot of the original iPhone. Um, you know, new new processor M8 or A8 processor with an M8 uh, motion chip. Of course, it'll come preloaded with iOS 8. Um, you know, better camera, kind of all the stuff that we've just sort of come to expect with new uh, iterations of the iPhone. You know, we'll we'll get to the. I want to save the mobile payment stuff for later, but. Um, you know, really outside of that, kind of just run of the mill, run of the mill upgrades outside of the the bigger screen. That's right. It doesn't seem like terribly dramatic upgrades either, but it seems like uh, it seems like everything's been refined in just the right way. Battery life isn't isn't really that much improved. The camera is still the same uh, megapixel rating. The sensor's gotten a little bit better. The processor's a little bit faster. Um, but other than the addition of NFC. Um, and a slightly increased screen size. It's very, very similar to the existing model. Yeah, I, I really like the new. I like the new look, though. Um, I, I like the anodized back. I like the curved edges. Um, somehow they've managed to make the phone a little bit thinner than the 5s, which seems crazy, but they have. Um, I, I really, I really like the look. Um, and I, I really do think that after having, you know played around with some various Android phones that are in the, in this kind of same screen size category. I think 4.7 inch is really the the perfect size. So, I I it, this is pretty much like my perfect iPhone, I think. Yeah, the size feels really good. Um I don't know if you saw yesterday, but on Twitter a couple people posted um kind of like paper cutouts that you could make on your own. So if you wanted to kind of see what each one would feel like in the hand and you wanted to kind of see and decide between the six and the six plus sight unseen. Um, so I printed those out and the size of the new iPhone six ends up being exactly the same size as the HTC one mini two. Yes, it's a terrible name, but um, <laughs> it's actually a very nice size. So I, I'm very happy in that choice. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, it, it's funny. Like if, if you've ever shopped for an HDTV in a physical store, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about where when you're in a, you know, a big box retail store like Best Buy, for example, and you have a TV that's in this very large store and it's next to a bunch of maybe even bigger TVs, even something like a 60 inch screen actually doesn't really end up looking that big. But then of course, when you take that TV home and put it into your living room, it all of a sudden just looks massive. And the thing that I noticed with the announcement yesterday was that, you know, when Apple was doing or showing like the commercials and the renderings and all that, even when the phones were next to the 5S, they didn't really look that much bigger. But then afterwards with the, the hands-on demos, when people were actually holding the phones, even the iPhone 6 it just looks massive compared to the current generation of phones. I disagree. It doesn't look that much different, but basically every demo of like the products in use seem to be people holding the six plus for some reason, like especially all the Apple pay demo videos. So that, that looked enormous. Well, uh, yeah. So let's get to that. So the, well, the, 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 the iPhone, unless you have more on, well, the, are we going to talk about the, the, the size of the six plus or Apple pay? No, no, no. The, the iPhone six plus. Okay. No, well, we're saving Apple pay. Okay. Um, so the iPhone 6 Plus, basically exactly the same phone, which, you know, we talked about last week how 
we really felt that it would be kind of a huge bummer if the 6 Plus had some crazy awesome feature that the 6 just kind of artificially didn't. And it has two. Uh, what's that? And it has two. Which or what? Uh, increased battery life and optical image stabilization. Well, but okay. So the, the the better battery life, like we talked about last week, that's just a function of the phone size. I was talking more about features that would be, again, artificially held back from the six in order to give the six plus more of a you know more more selling points. And they they didn't really do that. I mean, yeah, optical image stabilization, sure, but even that I think might be a at least part function of the additional size they have to work with. Okay. Because, I mean, they did show, like, in the demo, I mean, I, I know nothing about any of this stuff, but they, in the demo, showed, you know, how the lens sort of, you know, physically moves within its casing, which, you know, maybe in the smaller case of the 6, maybe that's not possible. Um, so, you know, so that that was good. Um it, and outside of that, it's really it's it's really the same phone. There are there are some software features, um, specifically with when you turn the phone into landscape. Even when you're at the home screen, all of the icons flip into a, a landscape format, similar to how the iPad works. Um, there's also some features they showed this like in the messaging app, where because you have additional screen real estate, you can have things like people's you know pictures next to their names. And then in landscape mode, you have this expanded keyboard, which has dedicated cut, copy, and paste buttons, things like that. Uh, but, you know, nothing nothing super crazy. Um, and, and it kind of seemed like their pitch, which makes a lot of sense, is that this is kind of a phone that, you know, the battery life sort of is maybe its main selling point. But they've designed it in such a way where even if maybe your you know, 5.5-inch screen phone isn't necessarily your ideal size, but you really want that battery life, they've designed the phone so that somebody like that could maybe still you know, get into it. I still think it's an incredibly ridiculous screen size, and it's not really worth considering for anybody. <laughs> well, yeah, I, was, I guess I was trying to look at the glass half full approach, but I, I, I mostly agree. I was, I was going to say largely agree, but I, that was going to because be there isn't because the, the thing is like the increased battery life. If you look at their estimates and their numbers, um, the only real things that benefit from the increased battery life are activities where the screen is off. Well, I think there was like, wasn't it like four more hours of talk time? Was it talk time? Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it was two more hours of like web browsing, right? Only on Wi-Fi. So LTE web browsing was just an extra, um, just an extra hour. But things like audio playback and um, talk time on phone calls, those are the ones where you got the biggest benefit, and those are things where the screen is off. So that kind of implies that the increased battery life is mainly to support the increased power draw from the screen. And again, just like by by holding that like paper cutout in my hand, like it, there's another phone uh, that. Because it's actually bigger than the Galaxy Note 3, which is already a comically oversized phone. So while it's very thin and light, I still think that it's not right for anybody. And it should be outlawed. <laughs> the last part's a joke. But I mean, it's I, I understand how people would consider it for a short moment. But there's a lot of people whose opinion I like value and respect who are honestly thinking that they're going to go for it unless it just looks ridiculous in person. And I just don't get why. 
You know, actually, so this this is something that we, I think, again, talked a lot about leading up to this event was that we were really curious what, what the story that Apple was going to tell was. Like, I, I feel like when they came out with the 5 two years ago, they really did, I should have gone back and actually tried to watch this part of the keynote, but it, if I remember correctly, they, they spent a lot of time, like what felt like a solid five minutes, really walking you through why adding the additional half of an inch to the screen made a huge difference and why ergonomically that size was perfect. You, you kind of remember that? Like, I feel like they, they spent a lot of time on that. Um, and I was curious what they were going to do with these new bigger screen phones. And it kind of, they just, they just kind of didn't really address it at all. They basically, like, they didn't, they didn't really say why they chose 4.7 and 5.5. They didn't really say why 5.5 was better than 4.7. They, they kind of just dumped them out there and were like, hey, these are these are bigger screens. Here you go. Did you get that impression? Um, I sort of did. I I'm not really sure what they would say. They're like, okay, you all, all you people keep complaining that our phones are smaller than Samsung. So here 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 you go. Merry fucking Christmas. But <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, I guess, right? Sort of. I just the thing is, like, the five point five inch model doesn't really. I don't see what you get out of it because Samsung. I mean, for all for as much as I dislike the Note series. At least you get a stylus, and it's kind of like you could. They kind of sell you on this, like, like the the image of like the way that you'd use it. Whereas you'll mark up documents, so you'll you'll do this type of like drawing on screen or precision input, where you're really taking advantage of the screen real estate. Whereas in the iPhone, it really just looks like it's a higher resolution display, and everything's bigger, and you can now use it in landscape mode, which you could do on the iPhone five already. Like it, it like landscape use is not new no but i mean the like in the home screen how you know the the icons go into landscape mode who cares and then, well yeah yeah I know. like like i understand like because most applications like you can you can turn um your texting app in uh into landscape mode and that works just fine on your existing phone i mean i understand they're doing that kind of two paned thing but that's i don't think that's really changing anything the only cool things that I think they've done is is with the um, the keyboard in landscape mode, where you get kind of dedicated copy and paste buttons, and they've kind of used the screen real estate for something more than just wider keys. Yeah, and then um, the I forget what it's uh, called, but there's a feature where um, to make it more manageable with one handed use, uh, they've made it where you can kind of just tap the um, the touch ID sensor, and it'll kind of snap the uh, top part of the screen like halfway down which actually seems like a really decent way to kind of attack the one-handed use problem that that doesn't mean it should exist but i got i got really confused on that following the event on the live blogs um because i i thought that everybody was saying you know that you would double tap the the home button which is currently the multitasking so it's double tap, not double click, or not That's double right. press. That's right. So when I actually watched the keynote, I, I picked up on that. But I thought that I, I was confused by that initially. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I think I th- thought that the iPhone seemed like a um, a worthwhile upgrade, um, mainly for one purpose uh, more than anything, which we'll talk about soon. But, I mean, again, like uh, earlier tonight, I uh, referenced that... Um, John Gruber tweet where he says, my only vice is buying a new iPhone every year and then like gambling and smoking or something. But 
just you always want the newest iPhone every year because it's the most used computing device you have. Yeah, I, I think this was something we discussed in the the private beta period, but. I, you know, I, for me, I always want the absolute top of the line iPhone because, I mean, I'm I'm on my fo- I'm I'm on my iPhone more than I would care to admit every day. Like it, it is single handedly my main way of checking email, of organizing my calendar, organizing my. I mean, just every pretty much my whole life runs through my iPhone. So, I think even you know getting the the partial discount or whatever that you get each year. It for me is totally worth it, and I mean iPhones hold their resale value remarkably well. So you know if you go through the little bit of hassle of selling your phone on eBay or something like that, you actually end up you know not not getting too far behind financially. Yeah, but again, just to clarify, you are doing the four point seven inch model. I am. Yeah, I I was you know was sharing some text with you this afternoon when I was watching the keynote. I I felt myself slowly getting uh pulled into Phil Schiller's uh salesmanship when he was talking about the six plus and how awesome it was. And I for a brief minute was like, yeah, no, that that actually that looks cool. Then I was like, no, yeah, no, no, no. it wouldn't be at all. No. So yeah, uh, the sixty four gigabyte iPhone six space gray. All right. So um. What's with the the storage capacities? <laughs> kind of weird. So very very weird. So Apple's general price points on subsidized devices have been for their um, kind of top of the line model two hundred, three hundred, and four hundred dollars. And for like the past three years, it's been uh, sixteen, thirty two, and sixty four gigabytes of storage space. And this year, um, yeah, they've increased. Uh, like like we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, that they would probably increase to a one hundred twenty eight gigabyte model for uh, kind of the top end of things. But at the low end, they've kept uh, 16 gigabytes, which makes absolutely no sense to me. So this was actually really funny following the event live because, you know, typically what Apple does when they reveal the pricing is they they show the slide, you know, 199, 299, 399, and they immediately show the storage space right above them. So they they you know, they did that yesterday where they initially showed the prices, 199, 299, 399. But they didn't show the storage space, and so I thought, oh, okay, well, they're obviously going to now reveal that they've, you know, doubled the storage space on each size, and then then they showed the 16 gigabyte above the 199, and I thought, wait, what? Like, are they they're they're gonna like drag this out, but they're gonna keep the same size? But then, yeah, I went six, yeah, 16, 64, 128, kind of a a weird gap, maybe a way to. I don't know, maybe maybe that's sort of a ploy to kind of push people towards the two ninety nine. I don't I don't know. There's got to be obviously some reasoning behind it, but I mean there is. But do you think that like there is there is there no benefit from Apple's perspective, like from a customer satisfaction point of view, of not having a phone that's too small for almost everybody? Uh, yeah, I yeah I I think I think. At least with I, I kind of I kind of get the lower end models having lesser storage space, but I think your the flagship device should start at thirty two. Yeah, I think it's really I think it's pretty tough to use an iPhone in the way that Apple wants you to use it on sixteen gigabytes. Hmm. Um. So yeah, that that was kind of weird. Um. And then this you know the six plus hundred bucks more at each size so starting at 299 and then you know $100 excuse me $100 increments up to the 128 gigabyte 
model. Yeah. And these are these are of course as Apple likes to likes to say, these are on your standard two-year carrier contracts. Standard. <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, I mean that's 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 the iPhone six. I think we're we're both pretty excited. Um, I I I like these. I like the every other year. These, these are the phones I think to really get excited about. Obviously, the the incremental upgrade that we get in between is kind of something that I think really like only nerds like us get kind of into. But I mean, even you actually don't really get into that all that much. I remember with the five S, you were kind of late to the game. Um, but you know, th- th- this is the year where I think you know people should get excited about, it. and I. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty pumped about the the new screen size. My iPhone 5s feels really small now. So what about you? So I I've said 64 gigabyte space gray iPhone 6. What's uh What's your game plan? Um. It seems silly not to get 128, but I I don't know. I don't need it. Yeah, I. When you asked me, I you know looked up how much space I had left on my phone. I have like twenty gigabytes left. So, and if and I feel like I have a lot on my phone. Like I feel like I have a ton of pictures. I have a ton of downloaded music in RDO. I've got a ton of downloaded podcasts. Like I feel like I have a lot on my phone, and I still don't come anywhere close to filling up sixty four. So one twenty eight, at least this year, seems a little wasteful now. I I for a long time had a 32 gigabyte phone and eventually did make the jump to 64. So maybe a year or two from now, 128 will seem more reasonable. But I think I think this year, you know, 64 should be okay. Yeah. But you know, that's kind of another another thing with buying a phone every year. It's not like it's not really like this is a super long term decision. Um, okay, so I guess the last thing is to talk about dates. So this thing's coming out September 19th, a week from Friday, which is pretty standard. And uh, much, much to my approval, they are bringing back pre-orders, which they had done with the 5, the 4S, the 4, and I, I guess maybe the 3GS they didn't. But at least with the 4, the 4S, and the 5, they had done pre-orders, which was were awesome. Um, but then last year they, they did not. And so I stood like an idiot out in front of the Apple store at like 5am and got it. Uh, but pre-orders are going to be on this Friday, uh, September 12th. And, uh, if history is any indication, I, I, I believe that these have gone on sale midnight Pacific of that night. So it would be, you know, we're recording this Wednesday, the 10th. So it would basically be midnight tomorrow night. That's right, and th- and this episode will of course be up by uh, twelve o'clock tomorrow. Well, you know, last last week's was up on Thursday. It, it was outstanding turnaround time. No, yeah, thank you. Um, and Apple seems to be pretty confident they're going to be able to kind of ramp up uh, shipping and get as many phones as they can into the hands of customers. So who knows? There might be not as much um, as much waiting this year. I don't know about that. I you know the memory that I have when they were doing the pre-orders. Uh, starting a couple of years ago and, and for the few years before that, kind of a nightmare, like a lot of page refreshing, a lot of Apple Store application crashing. Oh, no. Not... What, I, what I mean is um, how many actual units they'll, they'll be able to move, not just the initial, like how how well does the website hold up? Because I said they intend to have it in 110 countries by year end. So meaning the actual number of units they get to customers. I see. Yeah. 
Well, so the you know the rumors for a long time have been that the the larger screen, the 5.5 inch screen, has proven to be difficult to manufacture. So the speculation's been that it's difficult maybe... to find people who will sell their soul to manufacture it. <laughs> Most people just take a principal stand and just be like, I'm "Not doing it." Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if the six plus maybe is in a little bit more limited supply, which you know obviously for you and I, no big deal. Um, you know, actually, a little side note, I'm. I'm very confused by AT&T with their upgrade pricing because I surprisingly I I'm I'm like 99.9% sure that I used my line last year to upgrade to the 5S cuz I'm on I'm on like a family plan and I've I've done some like shuffling around in the past and I'm I'm really pr- pretty sure that I used mine for my 5S last year and I was looking today at like my upgrade eligibility and it said that I have like a full upgrade available and that that's happened before too. I think it happened going from the 3GS to the 4. Like I don't I don't really get I don't really get how that works. I don't know if I'm just like some I don't know if they like me or something, but I don't know. I'm fairly certain that's not the case. It's probably not the case. No. <laughs> it's, it's a faceless phone company. <laughs> um I mean, but I do I, have like a corporate discount attached to the account. Like I don't know if that No, that wouldn't I, change it. I wouldn't think so. So I would I would just go to log into your uh, my AT&T account and just check the contract end dates and the upgrade eligibilities of everybody. Yeah, maybe that's what I should do. Yeah, just one of them might have been out of cycle. Yeah. But um yeah, so I, I think I'll um I'll be up tomorrow night trying to get one. All right, you're not going to chance it and do uh early morning. No, because in the past, that has not worked. If, if you've waited until like 7 or 8 a.m. Pacific the next morning, generally you're looking at maybe about a week after launch getting your phone. Yeah. So if you want one day one like me, you just have to have it. Um, waiting, up, waiting up at midnight Pacific is, is kind of the way you got to go. Yeah. So what about you? You, you? You've seen like as you've grown older, you've, You've gotten some more patience with this stuff. Uh, well, we'll talk offline of how my patience will have to work. But um, okay. But yeah, no, I'm definitely doing it because again, the 5s. Well, we have to see. I, I'm I'm debating whether or not to install iOS 8 on my iPhone early, and see how that goes because I still have an active developer account and the the uh, GM release has already gone out. Yeah, generally, uh, for whatever, I mean, it's probably because of all the unlockers and stuff. But I, I generally find the resale value of iPhones to be higher if you leave the previous version of the uh, the operating system on there. Yeah. I mean, for me, that wouldn't matter because uh, Verizon doesn't lock their phones. But, um, yeah. Well, I think even with not even necessarily the um, the carrier unlock, but also with jailbreaking. Jailbreaking is not still a thing, is it? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's not a thing that people care about anymore. Like, because back in the old days, it was back when there was carrier exclusivity, and it, you had to in order to get it on T-Mobile or a different carrier. No, I mean, I mean, jailbreaking in the sense of unauthorized third-party apps. What unauthorized? Third, what? What else can you? What's not available? I believe me, this is a world that's beyond me, but I know it's out there, and I know that people pay a lot to to get it. So, um, anyway, that's I I, I usually leave the the old old version of iOS on my phone. All right. Um. Yeah, I think that's uh that's the iPhone six and the iPhone six plus. So the keynote went through those. They went through iOS eight a little bit, which was mostly just rehashing of what we heard at WWDC. Mm-hmm. I don't really. I, there wasn't really anything there, right? That yeah. was new. 
Yeah. And can you remind um, our listeners of the Hallmark feature of iOS 8? Uh, well, this this is, a, this is, of course, the extensions platform where... No. no. There's only one. Oh, what is it? Unlocking your 1Password keychain with Touch ID. Well, that that's what I was getting at, the, the oh, 1Password okay. extension thing. Oh, well, I thought you were talking about um, like uh, like the share sheets, like where you can do um, like upload to drop uh, to Dropbox from a specific application, like the extensibility well, but that's, part. That's... That's kind of what 1Password is, too, though. Like, you'll be able to use 1Password within other applications. That's what I meant. Well, no, I just... Okay. Eh, that's fine. Oh, well, that's one part of it. Then you're right. The second part of it is being able to, instead of entering your master password, being able to use Touch ID and being able to use Touch ID across third-party applications, which I'm, I'm all for it. Love it. Yeah. I, it's more secure, easier. It's, it's, it's the best. It's going to make entering passwords like when you're at your actual computer kind of seem like even more of a pain in the ass. Do you use Chrome as your web browser? I do. Do you ever get an issue in 1Password where it says uh, that it cannot like provide input into Chrome because of like some pending update or something? Oh, yeah. I actually just today had to uninstall the 1Password Chrome extension and then reinstall it because it just wouldn't open. That happens all the time. Yeah. It happens. Doesn't happen as much on my Mac, but my Windows laptop at work, it happens all the time. But it's it's a testament to how much I love one password. I, I deal with its faults. Absolutely. Uh but yeah, other than that, pretty much everything they showed for iOS eight looks, you know, kind of like what we saw at WWDC. Um mostly just incremental updates, but certainly with the way that iOS 7 was, I think incremental updates are welcome. All right, so next is this. This was this was a big one. So this this uh, this was kind of the the next big thing. It was kind of they made it such a big deal that um, it, they didn't really talk about it during the actual phone announcement. They kind of broke it out into this whole separate thing. And this is uh, Apple Pay. So why don't, why don't you tell the folks what this is? So as part of the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus, uh, at the top of the phone, uh, one of the new feature, hardware features of it is that they have included uh, NFC technology, which Apple had been kind of a holdout for like the past three generations when NFC's been kind of like fully baked, you might say. Um, so with Apple Pay, Apple is kind of getting into the payment processing game, and they are um, allowing you to use your phone via NFC and a secure element inside the phone uh, to make uh, wireless payments. And from the videos, it seems like it's uh, pretty dead simple to use. And one of the nicest parts is that rather than having like a, uh, like a pin on a mobile wallet, you can use Touch ID to authorize payments. Yeah, it's pretty neat. You don't, you don't even actually have to have the screen or anything on. Uh, you, ha you, have a, you, know, you have a default card that is assigned. So if, if you do want to switch which card you're using, you obviously do have to go into Passbook, which is what's organizing all this and, and make that change. But you, you have a default card and the phone automatically knows when it's within, you know, I think it's like an inch. You have to put it to one of these um, tapless uh, paying terminals. And all you have to do is just hold your thumb on the touch ID. Don't, don't have to click anything, do anything. And it automatically processes the payment. So, you know, pretty, pretty sweet. Pretty, I mean, if it works that way, great. And we'll have to see how it works in practice, but um, you know, the, the, the demo looks real good. So I don't think uh, necessarily the problems that people are going to experience with this are going to be on Apple's side of things. 
I think it's going to be the kind of the same experience of anybody who's tried to use Google Wallet, um, ISIS Wallet, or uh, like just like the um, RFID thing that's inside uh, a lot of credit cards, which is the, the readers don't work. Hmm. I think the bigger issue is just, you know, <laughs> you go to a store that just doesn't have one of these. Oh, that's, of course. That's just not... I mean, Apple did, you know, they, they touted the fact that it's 220,000, you know, retail locations, blah, blah, blah. But, but here's the thing. 40,000 of those are Subway. Like they even <laughs> said in the keynote. No, right, right. And I was like, oh, wait, that just kind of greatly diminishes. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, another 4,000 or so is Walgreens. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like the numbers are, the numbers are definitely skewed. But, you know, I so it obviously this, something like this does not alleviate the need to bring physical credit cards with you unless you absolutely know for sure that where you're going has one of these you know paying terminals i do not think you could uh leave home without it no exactly um so you know i as i was going through the keynote i was making some notes and the only direct quote that i wrote down i noticed it when following the live blogs yesterday and it really stood out to me again when watching the actual video was the way that Tim Cook started talking about what they thought about the wallet and kind of what they wanted to do and his exact quote at the beginning was so our vision is to replace this the wallet and we're going to start by focusing on payments I thought I thought the word start was really interesting there like I, I don't think that Apple Pay, as it was shown yesterday, is really the end game with the kind of this idea of having an NFC chip and being able to have all of your information stored on your phone. I, I don't really like Apple could have done this easily two or three years ago. So I think they have they, they, they're kind of waiting until they think that they're closer to actually being able to come up with a full solution that go that goes beyond just payments okay i think you're thinking a little bit too far into it but i don't think so i mean i, I think obviously for now yes but i i really do think that apple has a plan you know i don't know how many years two three four years out where they're going to start thinking beyond payments i think they're going to start thinking about transit cards and mm. about healthcare cards and obviously eventually maybe driver's licenses like they, I think I think they really really want to make this the full solution. I think credit cards are a good obvious start but that's that's not where they're going to end. I mean I think it's I think it's very clear from the way Tim Cook phrased it that the payments are not the end game. Uh I I I think you're dreaming a, a little bit but maybe. And I and I don't the thing is, the reason why I'm hesitant to talk to, I don't think he thinks that either. I think Apple wants to be kind of the, be like, I think they want to have a completely in-house solution for everything where you don't ever leave the Apple ecosystem. I think that's definitely true. I think that through Passbook, which they started in iOS 6, that they are very committed to doing like uh, digital tickets and digital boarding passes and all this kind of stuff of eliminating paper and eliminating clutter for their customers. I don't think Apple honestly thinks they're going to have your driver's license inside Passbook. Mm, I don't know. I, I I disagree. I think I think that's exactly what they want to do. I don't think it's something that we're going to see in the iPhone 6S next year, but I think it's something that they eventually want to do. 
it will not happen in the next decade. Ooh, I don't know, man. Would Ten you like years. To, would you like to make a gentleman's time. wager? Because <laughs> here's the thing: because that has that involves governments. Of course, not, of course. That's where I think, like, getting um, uh, getting an airline or somebody else to like put a loyalty card onto a phone is not a big deal. Allowing getting the government to partner with a private company to and a, a single private platform, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, that, that's why, and that's why I was very careful. The kind of the, the way I described it was driver's licenses and other government issued, um, you know, IDs like that. You know, like a passport. That would be the the very end game. But I I think incrementally, what we'll see hopefully over the next couple of years are things like, you know, here in, you know, San Francisco, like the Clipper card, which we use for Muni and BART and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then also things like, you know, like your Kaiser card or whatever could be just on your phone. I, th- I think things like that could and, and probably will be logical extensions of this kind of NFC platform they're building out. Again, I think you're dreaming a little bit big, but uh, I, I like your future. Thank you. Or I mean, I, I like your ideal. Uh, <laughs> I like the way you imagine the world. Yes, I know what you mean. It's, it's easy if you um, try. You know, the, the other uh, there are some notes I took uh, around this section was, you know, of course, Apple really likes to do this. They, they they like to take the 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 subtle digs at other companies, and you know, Tim Cook went into this little tangent where he talked about how he felt like the whole concept of mobile payments had been sort of doomed by the fact that the companies who had entered the market so far have been trying to find a business model as opposed to focusing on the actual customer experience. And he said that, you know, he said that Apple loves to solve these kind of problems because, you know, they're the ones who historically have not necessarily invented an entirely new category of products. You know, they didn't invent the smartphone, you know, they didn't um, invent the portable music player, but they instead look at these markets, they study them, they see what's out there, and instead they come in and they radically improve what's already out there. And that's obviously what they very clearly feel like they're doing with Apple Pay. I think that's a very nice thing for Apple to want to say. I think that most other companies don't have the option of making profit an afterthought no totally and that's that's the so i think that's a super unfair thing to say on on tim cook's part about that people aren't putting the customer first when apple sure as fuck isn't there they are in the business of moving more 800 dollars phones and if they can provide a value-added feature and make no money on it that's completely fine for them which which is great but it's unfair to to spin it any other way, like Apple, some benevolent company. Well, Apple, but Apple's put themselves in a position to be able to do this, which it, it, it's not, it's not as if somebody's handing them the right to be able to sit on these massive profits that they earn from hardware in order to be able to maybe instead of getting 3% on every transaction, they can kind of forego or dramatically reduce their fee in order to focus more on the experience. Like so, then, so then why don't they dramatically reduce the fee of uh, in-app purchases or the app store? Why, why, don't they, why don't they make the profit margins on the iPhone 10%? Well, 
Well, no, 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 no. That's the, no, the, the, mar- the margins on the hardware to, no, are what make everything. Put, you have to push. Uh, you have to put the customer first. But that's so no, cheaper no, product no. prices are better for the customer. Why, why are they trying to find a business model which puts profit before the customer experience? Well, actually, I mean, to be fair, things like particularly the iPhone are on carrier contracts, standard carrier contracts, as as we like to say. They're, I mean, they're very comparably priced to similar phones. In some cases, much cheaper. Um, you know, with the MacBooks and MacBook Pros, they're similarly priced to comparable hardware products. So it's not like Apple is gouging pricing, but they've been smart with their manufacturing processes and their design so that their margins are really high, and it allows them to be able to offer other services and features where they don't have to worry as much about making money there because they already have a successful business model on the hardware side. So then on digital goods, why why does Apple take 30%? Well, I mean, that's... Are you talking about the like third-party apps? You're talking about like media? Uh, anything. I'm talking about ebooks that it sells. I'm talking about applications that are sold through its stores, in-app purchases. Why, if you want to sign up for... Um, uh, what is it? What's, what's a good example? Uh, Microsoft Office. If you want to sign up for Office 365, if you do it through the in-app purchase, why does it cost you more than if you did it through Microsoft directly? Because Apple takes a 30% cut. If they cared about the customer experience and wanted to put that first and didn't want to have to think about a business model where they make money, why aren't they taking uh, 10%? Well, because if they if they made that free or a kind of a trivial percentage, then all you're going to end up with is a bunch of crap. And that's that's not good for anybody. What are you talking about? That's not true at all. I How is them I think... not taking up a, a cut or a commission on digital goods sales? How does that? How is that going to lead to poorer quality products? Most everything in the app store already costs a dollar. Well, because I mean, it, it it creates a mechanism for any sort of Joe Schmo app to come in and no, it doesn't dump a bunch of like no, subscriptions doesn't. and features that. It does, though, because if, if there's no cost to doing that, then no, what's no, no, the no, downside no, 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 of no, no, pitching no, some no, crummy no, service? No, I'm not saying take away the cost of a developer license. I'm saying when you, when when Zynga sells like 50 coins for something for $5 inside an application, Apple takes 30% of that. That's correct. And what I'm saying is that if you remove that 30%, then you just allow anybody to come in and try to dump a bunch of crap on people inside of applications that's not true at all i don't know i think i think by charging people in order to do that you help eliminate some of the the noise and the junk that would otherwise be there but you can just give away the junk and the noise for free well you can but if the ultimate goal is to make money it's a lot easier to do that if Apple's not taking any sort of cut as compared to the way it works now where they're taking 30%. You know, if you're if you're if you're somebody who's just trying to dump a bunch of junk onto somebody, it's a lot easier to do it if Apple's not taking a cut from you. You know what I'm saying? I I I strongly disagree, but this this is going to be on the point. So well, let's let's get so to Apple Pay. Yes. They oh, the, yes, they are putting the customer first, and that is why I believe this is one of the simpler uh, kind of mobile wallet implementations. And it looks extremely easy to use. We'll just see in practice whether or not the retailers can kind of get on the ball so that this isn't. Because I think first impressions are what are going to make or break this. Because I think for nerds like us, we'll put up with terminals that don't work. But I think most people, if they go into a Walgreens or something, try to pay with it, and then 
they end up holding up the line, they're just going to pay with their card, and they'll be like, oh, that was a cool idea, but I can't use that. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think I think that and the experience of going into a store for the first time and not having one of these things there. Yeah, I think, like, you know, Tim Stevens had a pretty funny tweet yesterday. Apple Pay doesn't actually launch until October, so it's not available anywhere right now, but he commented that the taqueria that he went into after the event yesterday didn't have one of these you know paying terminals so that right like if that were the first place you went to after you picked up your brand new iphone 6 you know presuming that apple pay had already launched that would be pretty disappointing yeah and again and more uh, more so i'm saying of places where it's advertised that it will be there and that it should work right that it doesn't I've never, I mean, I th- I think I've used the chip in my American Express card like once just to s- play around with it, but I don't, I don't really have a lot of experience. I've never done it on my phone, so I, I don't, I don't really know how reliable these things are, um, but we'll, uh, we'll find out, I guess. Yeah. Um, and one other thing, what was it? Oh, and just I think Apple was smart in the fact that they introduced the Touch ID sensor into the 5S last year and that they didn't try to shoehorn all this all together. I assume it wasn't just that they couldn't get like uh, retail partners and all this kind of stuff together to make it work. I think they had to kind of let customers get familiar with the concept of biometrics onto their phone and using Touch ID before this came out. I think it's also a function of how how well touch id worked i actually was just thinking about this today how much better touch id works now than it did when the 5s first came out how much more reliable it is now now you you remember i i certainly remember talking about this in the in the private beta period of the show where when the 5s first came out i was extremely disappointed by how unreliable touch id was and now it's it's basically perfect um, I mean, it's never been terribly unreliable for me, but yeah, it's it's pretty darn good. Eighty, eighty-two percent, which is good enough for me. See, for me, that's what I felt like. I was hovering like seventy, eighty percent when the five S first came out, which I felt I felt was not acceptable given how many times you unlock and lock your phone every day. But you know, now I feel like it's it's got to be near ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. The only times it really doesn't work for me is like in in situations where it blatantly shouldn't. Like if my hands are still a little wet from like after I wash them or something. Like obviously that's it's not going to work there, and I know that. But in in times where I feel like it should work, it always does. So I I think the last year has been good just in terms of getting that technology to the point where it's reliable enough to start doing things like opening it to third-party applications and opening it to something like Apple Pay. Yeah. And one password. And one password. Oh, yes. I can't wait. I hope I hope that's available like day one. Yeah, I'll see if it's available later today. It, it, oh, it's going to be so disappointing if it's not. It's not. No, I don't. The iOS 8 update, I don't believe, is out now. But I, I they they keep saying that it's it's gonna be soon. So if it's not on the nineteenth, hopefully it's sometime very close to that. Yeah. Oh, there hasn't been a new version since June twenty first. Oh. Hm. Yeah. No. The the iOS eight update's definitely not already out. 
but All soon. Right. So what was next in the keynote? Oh, and also, uh, what's his name? Uh, Eddie Q needs to, to buy an iron. So he, he initially, okay, one other thing. And did you watch the, uh, did you see the video when they showed uh, the woman trying to pay with a traditional credit card? Was this in the keynote? It was. Before, like, he was trying to illustrate, oh, what what a huge pain it is to pay with uh, traditional methods. Oh, Like, they yeah. weren't even selling it yeah. on, uh, like, security. They were selling it on convenience. And it was, like, one of those, like, TV infomercials where, like, just how hard is, like, typical life. It was... It was absolutely ridiculous. Like they had to they had to swipe the card multiple times. She had to dig stuff out of her purse. She had to get her idea. Like it's all this stuff where come on. You know what though? That that is the real world. It's That's, not. Oh, come now. If you stand in line at any Target or any mm -hmm. Costco or any Safeway, this is these this is exactly what you're gonna see. As, I mean, I see this all the time. It's gonna be a billion times worse when somebody's trying to uh, trying to figure out how to unlock their phone. <laughs> Well, because it could be, be some like a forty-five-year-old person, you know. The... I do. No, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, Carlos. What's that? You know, you know, it would be a way that you wouldn't have to unlock your phone in order to use Apple Pay. You'd build a time is... machine and you'd go to early two thousand fifteen. Ooh, nice! I thought you were going to derail the segue, but you kept it going. Nope. I like that. Full steam ahead uh... <laughs> in the time machine. <laughs> Um, so, so the, the last part of the keynote, and I think we'll, we'll spend a fair amount of time on this now is the Apple watch, the long rumored Apple wearable, um, and man, where do, where do you even start with this thing? So, you know, there was a lot of speculation leading up to the event that Apple was going to come out with a wearable, like it, it kind of basically became sort of this known thing. But I really bought into the whole idea that Apple was going to come out with a wearable, but it was going to be sort of in this form factor that maybe we hadn't really thought about or seen before. Like it, it probably would be something on your wrist, but it would maybe look different and function differently than really anything that we could have conceived before. And we, you know, on the show, we've made the analogy to how leading up to the iPhone, everybody knew Apple was going to come out with a phone and there were all these crazy renderings, including everything from like a physical, like, you know, nine key keyboard to having a click wheel, like on the iPod. And it came out and it was something completely different with just a flat piece of glass and a touch screen. The Apple watch is not that at all. It looks exactly like a watch, which I was really, really surprised by. Like, I, I distinctly remember when following the live blogs yesterday and seeing that that first picture where you can see the the dial or the the, the crown on the side, like immediately just kind of being blown away, thinking like, "Holy crap! This is like this is just literally a like a physical like watch like we've known for a hundred years." Um, so I, I was I was really really surprised that Apple went with just the, the kind of really just traditional watch look and quite frankly a style that we've or kind of seen over the last year even with these smartwatches with Android Wear. Were, were you were you kind of surprised that this thing ended up looking so much just like a watch? Yeah, yes and no. So I think uh, when we talked about kind of our speculative episode of what we thought this would be, I think I said that it was either going to be a ter it was just going to be something that's incredibly underwhelming, or it was going to be something along the lines of the original iPhone, where 
there were existing ideas on how to approach this type of product. And then there's going to be a way that it was realized by Apple and kind of refined in a way where it's not what you would have expected. So I think they started from the perspective of what is a watch? What do people use it for and how should it look? And then integrated the smart elements into it. So I think it was it was much uh, much more the latter, kind of along the lines of the original iPhone. So there's a lot of unanswered questions like battery life and all that kind of stuff. But it seems like a very polished product that addresses those key issues first, looks great. And I think the biggest part for me is the customization options. Like it wasn't even just, you know, like a one size fits or it wasn't just like one band and either small or large. There are so many different combinations and ways somebody can make this look the way they want to, where like the individuality of like a tech uh, of like a fashion piece is not lost. Yeah, Apple did make a big point. I think they used they repeatedly used the phrase, "What well, this is this is the most personal product we've ever created." They really they kind of pushed that idea. Um, so that I mean, yeah, that that in in a sense is sort of the way that this starts to get away from like traditional watches, and then of course the smart watches we've seen over the last twelve eighteen months is the customization piece is is definitely something that differentiates it. And the customization piece is twofold. Not only do you get all these different... Uh, one, there's three editions of the watch, we should say. There's the standard edition, which is probably going to be the one that retails for 350 to start with. There's the sport edition, and then there's the uh, Super Fancy Pants uh, gold edition. And each one has a bunch of different watch bands that come in a lot of different colors. There's, small, there's a small and a regular-sized watch face. Um... So you get all that customization, but also there are all these what seem just like absolutely beautifully designed watch faces that you can put on it. So even if you have a certain band that you already have, you can tweak it and customize it and make it your own in a different way. So there's just literally tens of thousands of combinations to make it your own. So I had a, I had a question. I was looking at this this afternoon and tried to pay attention in the keynote for this, but didn't wasn't really clear. Can you use any band with any of the three models? I believe so. I th- I think so too. Like it, when you look at it on Apple's website, it, they really make it seem as if like you know like the the sport model using that as the example. Like they only show it with the sport bands, so they they kind of make it seem like it's it's just the sport bands. But it it looks like the mechanism for swapping out the bands is exactly the same on all three models. So I presume you could have the sports model, but then if you want, you know, swap out the band for one of like the metal ones or something. Exactly. Which that that part does seem really cool. And, it, you know, uh, Gruber linked to a couple different articles today about various um, people who were kind of into watches and kind of looking at the Apple Watch from that angle, kind of taking the technology piece out of it and looking at the the product just from like a watch perspective. And people kind of universally were really excited about the quality of the bands and the variety of the bands and sort of the, the, the various ways that Apple's looked to improve upon, you know, traditional watch bands, like especially like with things like the clasp that's on each of these bands being, you know, I think what magnetic in some cases, um, just overall being much smarter than, you know, just a traditional watch band. Definitely. So the I guess the, the 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 other big selling point, and this is what they started the presentation off with, is the the dial on the side or the the digital crown as they're calling it. You know, they immediately talked about how 
obviously with a, a small screen on your wrists, you know, doing pinch to zoom and things like that is not ideal because you're basically just covering the whole screen with your fingers. And they, you know, they went on to talk about how each new product that they've ever come out with inputs always been a big thing and how they've, you know, revolutionized the way that we interact with each you know, new device they come out with. And so the equivalent for that with the Apple Watch is the, the is this digital crown, which is kind of used for almost everything you do on on the watch. Everything from zooming to scrolling to flipping through options. It's all kind of done with this little dial. And that seems super, super smart. I think that might be one of those things where it looks good demoed, but you really, really get it when you actually start using it. You know, kind of in a way similar to like the the touch, you know, keyboard on the iPhone where when it was demoed, like it looked cool, but like you kind of had a lot of questions about how well it would work. And then when you actually use it in person, you're like, oh, yeah, no, like this is this is great. And I, I could kind of see this being the same way. Yeah, and I just I I like how it's so back with Google I/O that happened earlier in the summer, and they introduced all their Android Wear devices, and it's just a good reference point when the Moto uh, 270 thing came out um, uh, earlier last week, which is Android took a dramatically different approach to the user interface problem, and it it highlights all the issues that Apple designed against. Whereas everything on that Android watch is swiping across the screen, trying to interact and manipulate things on the screen itself. And all the Android Wear devices are basically just passive screens for notifications. Like it, it's just kind of like a slightly less usable pebble with worse battery life. Whereas this actually kind of takes in consideration all those design constraints and how somebody actually wants to use it. So I think it actually... I think it's going to be much more popular than people are going to give it credit for, because I don't think the price is going to hold that many people back. Yeah, I you know I think it's it's going to be similar to what we've seen both with the iPhone and the iPad, where you know maybe initial reception's been a little cool, you know a lot of skepticism, but then once it's actually out there in the public, I think people are going to go pretty crazy for it. I I actually was. Um, it's kind of amazing these Apple events, even people who aren't super nerdy like you and I kind of get into them. Like they, people at work yesterday who I, I you know, know pretty well and I know are not like into the whole technology thing, like really got into this Apple event yesterday and people were, they, they were pretty excited about the watch. Um, there was a little bit of, you know, I guess like kind of people like who either don't wear watches um, or who maybe are a little bit more, you know, they're, they're kind of, they want the, you know, thousand dollar nice watch or whatever. Those kind of people, I think, I heard a couple of comments yesterday. I think those people are going to be hard to please, I think. But for a lot of people, myself included, this seems like exactly what I want. Like for me, this this seems just like a total natural progression forward from something like the Pebble, which I already really enjoy. This is something conceptually similar to that, but which can just do so much more. I, I'm not sure they're that similar. But. Well, I mean, similar, I, I guess similar in the sense that I think the idea of being able to quickly and easily do a variety of different things 
on your wrist as opposed to on your phone is a really, really powerful thing. And I think has a lot of amazing applications, a lot of which maybe we haven't even, you know, thought of yet. And then, you know, Tim Cook made that comment on stage where Apple really feels that similar to something like the iPhone, third-party developers are going to come in and just do a thousand different things that nobody ever thought would be possible. Um, I, I think that's 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 what kind of what the Pebble's been doing, obviously in a very very limited scale. But um, th- this again, I think, is is the total natural progression from something like that. So, do you have any other thoughts on the hardware itself before we talk about kind of competitiveness? I'm going to be really interested to see how the three products are differentiated like well, i think it's kind really of in... two products i well, honestly yeah, don't think it, the gold one is really going to be i think that's true. kind of I, I don't know how expensive it will be but i i assume that the 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 standard one is the 349 one the sport one might be 399 or, or 450 or something yeah you, you, you think the sport one will be more expensive i do yeah yeah and i then... i don't think i guess i wouldn't really like I would like. I mean, I've kind of started thinking about like, okay, like, well, well, which one would I want? And I, I would think the regular one would be the way to go, just because I feel like you could slap one of the metal bands onto it and instantly have a watch that you could wear out to a nice dinner or to you know a wedding or whatever. I I don't see how you couldn't do that with the sport, especially the one. You could the, the two things you that could. I like now that I found out that the um. That uh, the the band that I thought was orange is actually pink, and my dreams have been crushed. Um, <laughs> it's now going to be the white one. I assume for you, it's the green one. Um, and then they also have that soft leather one that looks extremely nice. Yeah, I think. Um, I guess it just yeah, it just depend, depends on how nice the sport one looks on with a, with a metal band. Um, Although I don't, if the sport one's more expensive, I I really don't think I would go that way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't, I actually, prior to you bringing that up, I hadn't put any thought into the sport one being more expensive. If it's more expensive, I really don't, I just don't really see the reason why, why to go that way. Because uh, for sport activities, because that one's going to have a hardened display that if it gets kind of bumped or slammed on something it's going to be fine whereas the other one would be much more likely to break maybe it's it's actually really hard to tell particularly like i i would want the the space gray the the darker model it's kind of hard to tell how big of a difference between the regular watch and the sport version of that color is they 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 look very similar on the website mm-hmm. so it's it's probably one of those things where you kind of have to see that in person to be able to really see what the difference is definitely but, you know, got some time to think about that because as we joked about with the Segway, not out till 2015. Early. Early 2015, as they say. I think that means second week of January. Uh, maybe. I I would guess... Well, actually, honest um, question, what does that give them until? I think it gives them until end of March. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yep. I, I I'd be pretty surprised if January we see it. In February, something about February just doesn't. I don't know. I March. I don't know. March feels right. I, mm. My gut. My gut says March. Right before Valentine's Day. Although I mean, Apple's got a weird fiscal calendar. I don't know how much that plays into it. They don't. I don't think they care. Yeah, probably not. 
I, I don't think they let that dictate their uh, release schedules. No, you're probably right. Yeah. So let's talk about competitiveness and what this means for other wearable technology. While I, it's on a different price kind of level, do you think things like Fitbits and Nike Fuel Bands and Jawbone Ups continue to be a thing? No. Not not if not if this takes off the way that you and I think it might. Even with the price point? Yeah, I I think so because I don't know, maybe this analogy isn't exactly right, but I I see it a lot like standalone point-and-shoot cameras before and after the iPhone camera, specifically after the iPhone camera got better. Like it it just it just it doesn't make sense to go out and get a product that does one thing when you can really spend a little bit more. I mean, you know, a Fitbit and a Mikey Fuel Band's like they're like a couple hundred bucks, like one fifty, two hundred, right? So it's not like they're well, super no, cheap. Uh, no, a Fitbit Flex is ninety nine. Uh, I think the Fuel Band got reduced to one twenty nine. Okay, so it's still at least so the, four yeah. times as much for most most devices. Well, no, three fifty is not four times as much as three to four one thirty. Three to four, because they yeah. make cheaper Fitbits. So yeah, so the, the the price maybe is a little bit of a barrier to entry, but I I don't know. I I think that, and you know, presumably, just like with the iPhone, the the price of the Apple Watch over time is going to come down. The iPhone so, price hasn't come down. What are you talking about? Well, compared to the original iPhone, it certainly has. No. It, it got dropped almost immediately. Like you, you with the iPhone, I think you have to consider it 3G and later. Well, but also the the fact that they've now kept on to the older models and had them be free on contract. That's also been sort of a price reduction. Mm, okay. Um, but you know, I, I guess yeah. Initially, price maybe is the the thing that could keep something like a fuel band or a Fitbit going, but. I just it seems like if everything else about the Apple Watch is great and the fitness stuff works really well, it it seems like a tough sell to ask somebody to have a, a device on their wrist that just does like that one thing. I think that's true, but I, what I'm saying is, do you think this is compelling enough for people to spend that much money on? For people who maybe will not be using all the other functions of it. Or do you think Apple's going to make uh, make a good case for why they need this? I, well, I mean, it, it's I, speaking personally, I I think so. Like I, the Apple Watch is is pretty much everything I would want out of a device like that. Um, I I guess and, and my you'd, you'd have no trouble taking uh, a four hundred dollar watch out uh, when you're going to go play basketball. No, not at all. Okay. I mean, I bring my. You know, if you put the carrier subsidy aside, I bring my $600 smartphone to the gym when I run everywhere. But I'm talking about something that you wear. Well, I, I put my iPhone in a wrist, in a armband sleeve, so I'm essentially wearing it when I run and when I'm at the gym. That's eh, different, but okay. Well, I, ish, but um, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think people are willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. Okay. But I I think the the I don't know the big thing which is like getting a little off of your original question but I I think the really big hurdle still is particularly people like our generation just don't wear watches 
Like I, I very, very, very seldom see people like that. I would say like in our age group who wear watches, like I just, you just don't see it. So that that's where I think things are different. Like, obviously like we keep making analogy to the iPhone cause that was Apple's really last big product release. You know, everybody or a lot of people had a, had a, some type of cell phone before the iPhone. So asking them to switch to an iPhone wasn't really asking them to like carry around this brand new device with them. It was replacing an existing device. Whereas with the Apple watch, with a lot of people, they're not replacing a, a watch. You're really asking them to, you know, in this case, wear this brand new thing. And that, to me, that's the that's the toughest selling point. Less so like the price, but more so just the concept of putting something on your wrist. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good point. But I don't. I guess on the on the flip side, I've I've made this comment before about how. It seems like, particularly in the last few months, I get tons and tons of questions about my Pebble. Like this was just actually just happened. This happened today. Um, people see the Pebble; they're curious about it. When you explain what it does, they're like, "Oh, that's really cool!" Like, yeah, being able to like, you know, see your next calendar appointment or being able to see who's calling you, like things like even the real basic things like that, which particularly on the Apple Watch are just like the very, very basics. People find that really compelling. So how how many people after you've talked to them a week later have a pebble? Well, I, I would I would assume nobody, and that and that should that should be the case. Well, that that should be the case though, because the pebble is something that's very very limited and is, is kind of just for geeks. But but, that, but no, it's it's a fair point, and that's one other thing that concerns me in the sense that a lot of people will like have wasted or or sorry who have spent and subsequently wasted money on a wearable device. Like a lot of people who had bought like the the Fitbit Flex and wore it for a week and then thought it was just more trouble than it's worth. While I understand it's a very limited and less integrated device, do you think this might be something where people are like, I'm just not getting that much use out of it and they return it after a week? Because mm, even though yeah. it seems like they've designed it simply, I think there is still a fair bit of kind of friction in or like a, like a barrier to entry for people with this type of device. And I think the biggest part is going to be charging it daily. I think a lot of people don't want a second device that they have to charge every day. They, they didn't, they didn't talk about battery life, but they did make that real big comment about how easy it was to charge seemingly indicating that that's something that you would pretty regularly have to do. I think it's a really safe assumption that it's a charge every day kind of thing. Oh yeah, I, and if your if your watch is dead the next day and then you don't wear it, or if you, if like nobody's ever gonna wear something that doesn't turn on. So like the first day you don't charge it, then you're just gonna stop wearing it, and then you'd be like, oh, can I still return this? Yeah, is what is what I'm thinking. That's 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 a fair it's a fair point. Yeah, because my fuel band like I have to charge that once every seven days, and even I think that's kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. <sighs> yeah. You know, I this is a get get sorry getting on another little tangent here, but I thought it was really interesting that I, I was thinking thinking back to like the iPhone announcement, and it seemed like obviously Apple was very excited about the product, and they really really believed in the product, so they they spoke very highly of it. But there was also this sort of humbleness about it, where. You know, there, there's the the famous Steve Jobs quote where they wanted, you know, one percent of the total phone market. Like they were they were being very constrained 
and they they acknowledged how difficult it was to you know work with carriers and like that that whole model like whereas like it felt like yesterday like they made a lot of references to the fact that you know this this is the same stage that the mac was announced on and you know this is the next huge part of apple's story like they they definitely had a different tone with the product a tone that like yes this is the next big thing like we're telling you it is we're not even going to wait to see if it is which i kind of feels like it you know sets up it just it sets even more kind of unrealistic expectations for the products which i don't i mean i don't know how much normal people really care about all this stuff but i don't know that it, it's it struck me as being a little different I agree, and I also thought it was very weird that, like, after, like, the initial video they did, like, Tim Cook just kind of, like, just wandered around stage just, like, cheering himself. Yeah. Like, yeah, I thought yeah. that one was super weird. I understand, like, during the video, he he put one of the watches on, and he, like, wanted people, like, to be able to take pictures and stuff. But, like, no, there, there was kind of just, like, a, a weird kind of, like, not overconfidence, but there was... They, it seems like they were extremely proud of what they had to show, and I think rightfully they should be. But I think it, there's no way this is going to sell in the volumes that an iPhone will. And that's the part that just kind of worries me of, of what is the, um, the benchmark for whether or not this is a successful product. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think the, the big thing, even thinking further down the road, is this is not, it doesn't at least initially strike me as a product that you're going to upgrade every two years like you do with a phone. Seems seems very unlikely that even people who are semi, you know, nerdy are going to upgrade their watch that frequently. Mm-hmm. Which that 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 seems like another huge. Although you know, I don't know. Like, I guess tab. Well, I mean, maybe like the iPad is the more analogous example. Where I also don't think tablets are something people upgrade every two years. And you know, we've seen in the numbers that iPad sales are certainly nowhere near what the iPhone's like. So I, I don't think, I don't think comparing this to the iPhone in terms of sales is, is at all fair. Maybe, maybe something like the iPad's a little bit more realistic. Well, I mean, so again, to just clarify, you're buying one regardless. Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. Even if that, absolutely. even if all the reviews say the battery life's terrible, still buying one. Yeah. Cause I, you know, even to be honest, even the Pebbles battery life's not that great. It lasts it's more than a day. It's yeah, it's a couple days. Like that's like the thing. It's... Like I think the difference being able to for like have a late night and forget to charge it and it still be okay. I think two days is what they have to get to, and I'm pretty sure it probably won't be that way. No, I, th- I think if they were able to get two full days, they would have already highlighted that. Yeah, and that's just worrisome. I see. I don't. I don't know. I this is maybe maybe I can see you're gonna completely disagree with this, but. <laughs> I think that's why it's a good team. Exactly. Uh, um, I almost think that charging a device on a regular schedule, like every night, is actually better than something like the Pebble, where it's like <laughs> every three to four days. Like I never really am quite sure when it needs to be charged, and so I find myself forgetting to charge the Pebble a lot. Where like I never forget to charge my iPhone. That it's every night. I just do it. I never knew you were so much like Steve Jobs. <laughs> in in what way? You just spun that you you spun that weakness beautifully. 
Well, like, I, I, I've, I've I mean never it. seen anybody try to spin poor battery life as a positive thing. Be like, well, you know what? No, 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 nobody likes it. <laughs> well, I, I, I actually, I mean, I thank you, I guess. Um, but I, I, did, I really didn't mean it that way. Like, I, I legitimately meant that. I never do forget to charge my phone, but I because always forget can't. to charge my Pebble. No, no. But the difference is that you can't. Well, but it, you, but yeah, but you also can't. You're, 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 your your day will be ruined if you don't charge your iPhone the next day. Well, maybe my day will be ruined if my Apple Watch isn't charged. No, you're going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't really need this thing after all. Well, actually, you know, kidding aside for a minute, like, I actually have gotten to the point now where days where I do forget to charge my Pebble, I, it, it is kind of, like, it is, it is jarring, not, not getting those notifications on my wrist because once you're used to them it is it is a big thing and you get really used to it so i don't know maybe the apple watches will become something that you you just can't live without so you're not going to forget to charge it i'm very hopeful and i think I, I hope it's good you know one one small uh personal aside with the the apple watch that i'm I'm very excited about that. I didn't pick up so much on yesterday, but did watching the video today. the The whole way that it notifies you, kind of discreetly, with this the whole they're calling it the taptic engine, where it's it's like somebody's like poking your wrist when you get a notification, so like nobody else kind of around you knows. That's great because the the pebble so the pebble just vibrates right, and it's it's really loud, <laughs> like. Even when it's just on your wrist, when it vibrates, it makes a very like audible noise, which is kind of one of its biggest downsides, I think. So I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty happy that Apple's found a way to just not not have this thing like buzzing on your wrist. Yeah, looks pretty cool. Um, so what what do you think about um, like the like the drawing? And the um, just kind of like that, like the uh, personal communication stuff that it does outside of text messaging. Like, do you did you did any of that appeal to you? I thought that stuff was really, really, really weird. Well, like the like the whole like sushi example made made zero sense to me. Yeah, the so so the the, the context here is that like Apple spent a lot of time focusing on like how this was a device that was going to revolutionize communication, personal communication. That's, and, that's a good way to sign up. Well, I mean, that's, that's the way they said it. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> um, and one of the, one of the things they demoed was this, I won't forget what they don't think they had a phrase for it necessarily, but it was this messaging you could do back and forth where, Instead of you know sending each other text messages, which which you actually can do using Siri, but you basically just would like tap on the screen, like the 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 for the first example was like you could tap, and it would like then you know using the taptic engine like notify the other person like hey somebody's tapping you, which actually just sounds really annoying. Um, it sounds like something I could like maybe troll you with or something. Um, do not disturb. Does it, do not disturb. <laughs> right. Um, but then, but then also they they demoed like yeah, you could like drop pictures and send those to people. I can send you my heartbeat. Yeah. They, they, so the the weirdest part was you. Yeah. They they said this twice in the keynote that you could share your heartbeat with somebody, which like I think I texted you today. Like I I can't think of a creepier thing you could possibly do. 
with a piece of technology than share your heartbeat with somebody. And that's the thing. And like, and I even asked Sarah, like, is this something we would ever do? And she's like, <laughs> no, not really. Like, no, well, like the drawing thing seems kind of like, you know, a little cool. Like you can mess with, like, I mean. It seems like something I would like do with you the like the first day I have the watch. I'd be like, oh, ha ha. I'm going to send you this crappy drawing. And then like after the first day, I'd be like, okay, I'm over that. I did think, um, the, just you know, sticking with the communication part, I did think the thing that was really cool that they demoed was when you get a text message, it does some type of parsing of the text message where it can kind of tell if you're being asked a question where you're given a couple of choices, and it automatically then populates a couple of auto responses you can send back. Now, we'll see how well that works in practice, but if that works like it was demoed, that looks really neat. But yeah, the, the 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 drawing and the tapping and the the heartbeat sharing, I'm not not I'm not as into that. Yeah. But anyway, from a, a fitness perspective and as a cool watch, I think this is a uh, a worthwhile upgrade to the Feel Band. So you're so you're I'm surprised. I I remember thinking that my in, my initial reaction afterwards was that oh Carlos is going to be bummed. Like this is not this is not the product he wanted. Well, what would it, what would that have been? I think that that would have been sort of like the thinking outside the box, like getting away from like the traditional like watch form factor, like something I don't know, something that I can't even really articulate. Like maybe that would have sparked your interest. Like I, I still really like I view this thing as con- again just very conceptually being similar to something like the Pebble. Now it goes way way deeper than that with just the terms of how it works and the the features it offers but conceptually it really is kind of like an extension of your iPhone on your wrist and i just i felt i got the impression from you over the last few weeks that that's just not really something that you'd be interested in what i think i didn't want it to be was something that's just like the pebble where it seems like it's just an accessory for your phone like it's just this like passive window it's like where it just kind of emulates what your phone's lock screen is where you see all the stuff that you don't really care about flashing by like where you get this new facebook notification or you get uh, a text message and there's not a whole lot of actionable stuff that you can do with it so i think it went a lot further than that and prove that it it actually like has a place. I don't see. I I don't know. Like, and I, and I don't say this as a bad thing because again, I'm somebody that likes something like the Pebble. But that's that's not the impression I get from it. I mean, you know, straight up, an iPhone is required with this thing, and mm-hmm. I I can't really imagine. Like, it it does have Wi-Fi, so obviously, when you're at home and or at work or whatever on Wi-Fi, maybe it does have the ability to do some things independent of the phone, but. When you're out and about not on Wi-Fi, I don't really think it can do a whole lot without your phone. So I, I don't I don't know. I I don't really see this being much of an independent device from your phone. Which is again why I'm kind of surprised that you're as excited about it as you are. And it and again, I mean, even though it does rely on your phone, it's more than just a notifications device, which is what the Pebble is. Like if I want to look at a map on it, I I can. If I want to uh, use it as a remote that's for like Nike Plus running or something, I can do that. And it's much more full featured than this something that shows like mile count on your wrist. 
So, and it has like full Siri integration. Like those are things where I, it's not just something I'm glancing at rather than my phone. Like it seems like it's, it's adding something. Whereas while I haven't owned a Pebble, I don't think it would. I think it would just help me not take a phone out of my pocket every once in a while. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super, I'm super excited. Like I, I think I, I, again, like I kind of started the whole conversation saying I was surprised and I still am. Like, I think it's, it's, it's very different than what I kind of thought it would be. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited. Like this is, this is kind of exactly, exactly what I wanted. So come, come March, we're going to say, I I think, uh, between the iPhone six and the Apple watch, that's going to be a pretty sweet combo. Cool. And if you're just catching up on some of our archived episodes, you can skip forward to episode 53 and listen to our reactions for the Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if we'll be quite that high by then, but something like that. Because I assume we're going to have, we'll probably cross 10,000 listeners by episode 10, I would Pro- say. Yeah, pro probably. And there's going to be some people that want to know kind of like our humble beginnings. So they're going to they're gonna listen in sequence. You know, it's like watching The Wire. You gotta, you gotta watch it all. You gotta pay attention to. I can't. I haven't gotten into The Wire. I might, I might give it another try if the whole HD release thing is true. Yeah. Um. So is that it for the Apple stuff? I think so. I mean, hour and a, almost an hour and a half. That's you know. So what are your what are your thoughts on the the U two album? Uh, I can I can honestly tell you that when I was watching the keynote today, I I stopped at the point that U two came on stage. Not to say I don't like U two, I just you know you just don't want U two. <laughs> it's just I just don't I just don't really have an opinion one way or the other about U two. I thought it was I, I thought it was very weird that the keynote ended that way. It's like it was it literally was like oh and by the way we still care about music. Here's U two. It was really weird where he just like it had like most of the keynote had absolutely nothing to do with music. And he just tried to like spin it for like like he tried to like the world's weirdest longest segue. Yeah. Like Apple still cares about music, which which I'm sure that you do. But I've never seen a company force an album of music that nobody (laughs) wants into their music library, which is exactly what they did. Yeah, it was it was probably the weirdest way possible that they could have ended that event oh man i you know what for for a brief second i thought oh my god what if they're coming out with some like youtube branded phone i thought about it and i'm like there's no way no no i know i but i i did think about it for a second i'm like oh oh my god this is the you know this is the yellow ipod all over again or no the, uh, the the black and red one. The well, the black and red one, and then uh, there was an HP one too. And there wasn't there a Harry Potter one. <sighs> Maybe I think the the Beatles one and the there was no uh, Beatles one. There was a, there, there was, no, there was there, the yellow one, right? There was never a yellow one. Was that was that just a rumor that I'm now thinking is is reality? I, I'm pretty sure it's it's a it's a Leo Laporte thing. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure that. There was a at least a rumor for a long time that they were going to come out with like it was going to be the yellow submarine iPod and it was going to be Beatles, you know, themed and it was yellow. Yeah, and it never did. I guess yeah, I guess the Beatles 
weren't even on iTunes when iPods were popular. So yeah, I guess that couldn't have been it. I guess it was just a rumor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Is it possible to delete the album out of uh, iTunes Match? Oh, is that where it? Sh- I haven't paid attention. Is that where it shows up? I assume so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Okay, and of course, uh, sorry. One thing we didn't touch on: Apple Pay uh, enables you to take Uber rides uh, without creating an account. Yeah, but I'm at, yeah, I I I obviously you know I, I shared my excitement with you yesterday when they when Uber was mentioned. And I thought it was, you know, I, I commented on this as well. I thought it was really neat that they mentioned Uber and then Panera right after, which, you know, we know is your favorite company. Yeah. I, but I, you know, I already, I already have an Uber account. And I like it, it's, it's already one button press to pay for Uber since my credit card's already there. So Apple Pay doesn't really do anything for me there. There's no advantage to using Apple Pay in that context. Yeah, but we didn't touch on that though. The, the concept of in addition to the whole NFC thing, Apple Pay being this thing where if an you know a, a app or a, I think a website even a, kind of supports this, instead of entering your credit card information and your billing and shipping address, you can actually just click on this pay with Apple Pay button and it automatically does all that. That's that's pretty neat. Exactly. And just uses Touch ID to you know authorize that. Yeah. Well, you know, similar to the way that Tim Cook ended the keynote yesterday, we can uh, end this show on, on kind of that weird note. Uh, we have, we have to talk about our roots and how and how uh, technically correct has always been uh, very influenced by um, <laughs> the writings of John Gruber. Yeah, no, though I mean, uh, you know, those are those are the words that we live by. Yeah. Is he going to read like a guest post now? <laughs>